You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Why don't we stay standing as we pray? Uh, we're also going to take some time today to uh, pray for um, the world around us and some of the things that are happening in our country. If you've been living in Iraq, something significant happened in Canada this past week that we, as believers, can't get disconnected from. We can't see tragedies around and, and vans driving down sidewalks and killing people and not have hearts of compassion and hearts of prayer uh, for those around us. May we as a church never get disconnected from those things. Amen. And so we want to stop and pray for uh, all the people affected by the uh, terrible things happening in Toronto right now. We want to pray that the world would see Jesus. What we need more than anything else, we need Jesus. Now more than ever before, we need Jesus Christ. And so let's pray to that end. Not just we need him, but our world needs him. Let's pray, as you stand, just pray with me to that end, uh, please, as I pray. Father, we've just been singing of the amazing excellencies of our God, of the awesome reality of who you are. God, what we need more than anything else is a fresh glimpse of Jesus Christ. God, what our world needs more than a solution to our economic crisis or, or a solution to, cry, to crime, Lord, we need Jesus. We need to see God himself for who he is, for who you are, oh God. And we need to see you as a solution to all the world's demise. God, I pray this morning as we think of the tragedy in Toronto this past week, God, would our hearts be moved to compassion for those who lost loved ones in that tragedy. God, I pray that out of this tragedy, you would weave triumph as you cause uh, those who are mourning now to turn their eyes to Jesus Christ. God, as they realize that there's nothing that can solve their pain, Lord, would you turn their eyes to the healer of the soul, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would uh, move in uh, massive ways in the city of Toronto. God, I pray that you'd allow believers in that city to come out of their church and alongside those who are suffering, and that people would see the tangible hands and feet of Jesus through believers. God, would you move believers to prayer? We see all these responses. God, would we have the greatest response as believers? We'd be on our knees calling out to you, Lord, to do what only you can. Oh, Lord, our hearts go out. May you help us, God, as a church, to never disassociate ourselves from the things that are happening in the world around us. The world needs you, oh God. And just as the world needs you, God, we need you here in this room today. We're not high and holy and mighty above everybody else. We are still in desperate need of you, oh God. This morning, I pray that you'd help us to see clearly your call upon our lives. Help us, O oh Lord, not just to see it, but to grab a hold of it. Sink these truths deep into our souls, O oh God, that we might live out who you've called us to be as a body of believers. Father, may this message not escape any heart that's here. Would you come and meet us, Lord, in significant and profound ways that we might know the presence of you, the living God. So as we open up your word, God, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can turn through your Bibles uh, this morning to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, that's what the ushers are here for. They'd be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word in your hands that you can uh, not just follow along, but take it home with you at the end of the service. If you don't have one at home, uh, the greatest gift we can give you is a copy of God's Word. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are going to continue on uh, with our one another series today. Plain, simple truths. It's not rocket science. It's verses we've memorized, but get this. Yet these are life-changing, culture-shaping realities if we can get to a place where we allow God to empower us, not just to know them, but to live them out. And so we started a couple weeks ago with the one another that's kind of the granddaddy of all one another's love one another and, and how our love for Jesus ought to move us to loving each other. What a profound change that would make in our lives and the world around us. Move from there to serving one another. Uh, God's plan that every believer should be on, uh, living our lives of service to others to serve and not be served. Today we're going to move to this reality, uh, this one another that again will really maybe change the way you look at the world and look at, look at other believers around you is this. It's encourage one another. 150 times in the New Testament, this word encourage comes up. In the Greek, it means uh, parakaleo. It's said parakaleo, and it's often referred to in the New Testament. And as we read that word encourage, though, I realize that somehow uh, along the way, uh, we've redefined what that word encourage meant from biblical times, and we now define it according to what our world says it should be. And if we understand scripture, we can't just go into the Bible with our North American mentality of what we think words mean now. We have to understand what the actual message meant to its original hearers by the original authors. You're understanding that, right? And so sometimes we have to go back and redefine words because they evolve over time. And so we have to think of encourage. We think of this uh, concept, I think, um, that is associated with, with you're supposed to be each other's biggest fan. And your number one goal as a believer is to come alongside other believers and say, oh man, are you ever awesome? And their response is supposed to be, oh no, 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 you're awesome. And you're supposed to say, yeah, 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 right, we're both awesome. And we kind of understand that, that encouragement is never challenging, never confronting. It's only praising and finding all the good qualities of people and praising them up, praising them up, praising them up. That would be true encouragement. Remember the, the youth group game we used to play when we were kids, the, uh, the honor chair game where they'd put up a big chair in front of the youth group and one kid would sit on it and they'd be like, okay, now everybody say something nice about Daryl. And everyone out there would be like, oh, this is weird. Now you're up here going like, I, I like, kind of want to be built up, but this is awkward. Remember that game? We kind of associate like encouragement with that, and yet as you read the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, you study the scriptures, it is true, we all need to be built up. We want to all want to somewhat feel good about ourselves, but you have to wonder, is there something more meaningful and deep about this word encourage than that? Ever wondered that? There is. Here's what the Bible says it really means to encourage one another. We're going to study this this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but we're going to draw in a whole bunch of other passages. So get your little pens ready so you can write the references down so you can look them up after. But we're going to start here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let us understand what encourage one another means from God's vantage point from the scriptures. Let me read this for you. The day of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, 
and they will not escape. But you, that's us believers, brothers and sisters, you're not in the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, amen, amen. but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, here it is, therefore, in other words, in light of all of that which I've just read for you, therefore, this is the context, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So we're going to start backwards today in the text. We're going to start with this whole idea of encourage one another, because that's kind of the, the main thing thrust of the message, right? Encourage one another. And then we're going to work through the text of the three greatest ways we can do that according to Scripture. And if you look at the context of this, what's the encourage one another context? And the context is this, is that one day, without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ is going to come back. He is going to take up his own, and then he is going to get this word, judge the nations righteously as the ultimate king. And so because that truth is happening, it's going to be real, we ought to then be encouraging one another, not building up each other's egos. You're the best, man. No, you're the best. No, that's not it. But encouraging and building up one another's eternities. This truth is not just found in this chapter. So you're thinking, well, maybe that's only the only place it said like that in the New Testament. It's actually not. If you look at actually just the page, maybe on the same page, even 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 18, it says the same thing. The context of that is, is the coming of the Lord. Again, the, the hope that we have as believers and because Jesus is coming back for us, get this, encourage one another and spur each other on. Check out this verse, uh, Hebrews 10, 25, saying the same thing. Do not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more near as you see the day drawing near. You, you see this? You see this? Most of the time in the New Testament, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about slapping each other on the back and, and trying to, to point out everyone else's good qualities. It's, it's about strengthening and stirring one another to being faithful to God, even to the very end. That's true encouragement. That's biblical gospel encouragement and not worldly encouragement. Yes, in case you're wondering, there is a place. There is a place for, you know, what your mother used to always tell you when you are a kid, like, don't, don't, don't tear your sister down. Build her up, Right? The most often quoted verse by a mother, I think, is, is Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Daryl, how many times you hear this? Let no corrupting talk come from your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that may be grace to those who hear. There is a place for that, right? There's a place for that. I'm not saying there's not a place for just, just thinking about building others up, but the main context is this idea that we need to encourage one another in the light of Jesus Christ's return. So here's what the word encouragement means as you look it up in your Bibles. You've got to erase the North American definition. Like, take an eraser out right now. Like, scrub it clean. Here's what encouragement really means. It means this. More than a slap on the back, it means to call to someone. It's like, it's like there's something important. It's like, it's like hey, Daryl, hey, Daryl, you've got to pay attention to this. This is really important. That's encouragement. 
It actually means to beseech. Another word we don't use often. Beseech is to ask someone urgently or fervently. Not like, hey, you're doing well. It's like, like hey, there's, there's something important I need to tell you. You can't miss this. Listen up. That's what it means to beseech. Actually also means this. The third kind of variation of the definition it means to exhort. Don't like that word a whole lot. We kind of get a general idea what that means. To exhort, the word basically means to call to one side. And if you're on God's side, you're like calling somebody. You're exhorting somebody. Get off that side and get on this side. Exhort has attached to it a sense of summon, summoning or admonishing or entreating, just like Paul did with his young protege, Timothy. He exhorted him to, to live his life in a godly way and lead his people with all diligence. And then he said, Timothy, exhort your people to pay attention to truth and do the same thing. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of get your life in line with God's as sort of an exhorting reality. And finally, it means this, to comfort somebody. You know, come alongside of them and Put your arm around someone who's struggling or discouraged and just give them a word that'll keep them going for just another day. We're gonna come back to that one at the end. That's what encouragement means. It means to build somebody up. And you think of building up, what do you think of? You think of a house foundation built, built right, right up. And it's to build up somebody's spiritual temples on the inside. That is the true essence of the word encouragement. And while Paul does list it as a gift for believers, remember last week we talked about every believer is this welcome basket, the welcome to God's family basket. Some believers have this, this gift of encouragement in their basket. Like, hey, look at this, I'm an encourager. Well, that is true of some. They just seem to be better at it than others. They seem to have this down pat and, and not shy to say the hard thing sometimes, but always the idea to build up. It is a call on every single believer to also encourage others in Jesus Christ. That's why it's said so often in the New Testament. And the greatest ways you can encourage each other, I think, is found in this passage right here. So where do I start? So if I, if I want to be an encourager, where do I start? Then here's where you start. 1 Thessalonians 5 Verses 1 to 10. I'm just going to pull out three ways this morning that I want to encourage you first and foremost, that I can encourage you then to go out of here and encourage others in the same way. Here's the three greatest ways we can encourage, truly biblically encourage each other. First one is this. Write this down, please, if you're taking notes. Be alert. How can I truly encourage somebody? We, we don't need to hear again our strengths we don't need to hear again how good we are compared to the person next to us. Here's what we need to hear from each other as believers. Be alert. Where does that come from? It comes from right here in the text. Let me read this and give you some personal commentary on it as I read it to help you understand here. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, he's not talking about the times as in like, hey, it's April 30th and it's still snowing. I don't know if I wasn't a Christian, I might be angry at that today. But that's not the times and the season he's talking about. He's like the times, like the, the eternal clock is ticking for when Jesus is going to come back, when the king is going to come back and make everything right. And, and the, the seasons are starting to look a little more like the return of Christ. Open up your Bibles and you read the signs of the times and the signs of the seasons. It's all pointing to the fact that it's getting closer now than ever before in human history that Jesus is going to come back. This ought to cause us some excitement, some urgency. Now, concerning the signs and the times, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Basically, what he's saying is, I don't need to write anymore. We already have it all laid out in Scripture. 
We, we know everything's going to happen. We know the, some of the things that are going to go down. Read like Matthew chapter 24 and some of those chapters. And, and he doesn't say anything else to us. The only thing he's left out for us is this. He's left out the fact of the exact day and the exact time. Why? Because I think we either have two realities in our hearts. We either be petrified or we'd be procrastinators. And so to keep us on our toes, he's like, you don't need to know anything else. Just know it's coming. And I want you to be ready, be alert. Look at this. For you yourselves are fully aware, because he's told us many times, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's going to come suddenly. How does a thief in the night come? Never ever heard of a thief who writes a little letter to the family and puts it in their mailbox the week before. It's like, hey, can you be out of town next Friday? I want to stop by and I want to borrow your TV among some other things to take to the pawn shop. No thief does that. When do they come? When you least expect it. That's how when Jesus is going to come back, when we least expect it. In fact, it's going to be while people are saying there is peace and security. Everyone's holding up. They're like, peace, dude. Like the world's coming to a better place. Remember the Antichrist? He's going to come and there's going to be a sense of peace. And it's going to seem like everything's going in the right direction. They're like, ah, oh, finally he's here. Peace, bro. Insecurity, like the, the love wins rallies, right? They're like, love, love, love. And they're like, nothing could go wrong now. That, that, that's when Christ is going to actually surprise us all and come back. Then get this sudden destruction will come upon them. The day of the Lord in the New Testament is referring to the day of judgment. Don't confuse this with the day of Christ. Sorry, the, the day refers to judgment. Don't confuse the day of the Lord or the day of Christ. The day of judgment is for the unbeliever. So he's writing to believers, and that's why he uses the word them there, that those that don't know Jesus Christ. Destruction is going to come with judgment for the one who doesn't put their faith in Jesus is plain and simple destruction. It's separation from Christ forever in a place called hell. And we don't like talking about it much, but it's true and it's real, and that's just the reality of what those who don't know Jesus are going to face, and it would be mean for me not to ever mention that if I knew that that was true and didn't warn you of that. That's why the Bible says it often. And so everyone's thinking it's all good and all of a sudden he's going to what? It's going to be like the feet are wiped out right from underneath them. It's going to be destruction. Away from Christ forever. It's going to come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Again, this whole idea of it's sudden, it's sudden labor pains. You know, if you had a wife or you've watched someone go through the process of giving birth, we know the doctor gives them a date and that date barely ever happens. And even if, even if that date does happen, you don't know on that day when the baby's coming. For our, from our lives, it was like a month before, we we're like, is today the day? Well, they said it's gonna be March 2nd, but it's February 3rd, maybe today's the day. And you're like, today's the day, and when it finally comes, it's like, who's oh, today? Like, you're surprised. You're like, of course it's, right? But, but that's what's happening. It's, notice he uses it twice, he gives two, like sudden, like unexpecting, like quick. And then look what it says here. And they will not escape. They will not escape. It's going to be so sudden that there's going to be nowhere to run and hide for those that don't know Jesus. Remember when you're a kid and you're playing hide and seek? And if you're like me, I always want to find the best spot ever. And so you forget about the person counting, you know, like 10. You know, and all of a sudden they're like, ready or not, here I come. And you're like right in the middle. You're like, ah! There's nowhere to go. Where are you going? You end up finding this really lame hiding spot that you're just like sitting duck. And they're like, ha ha, I found you. So they open their eyes. And you're just like, all right, I'm caught. That's 
what it's going to be like for the unbeliever. It's not a day to look forward to. It's a day to actually be fearful of. It's a day that ought to cause your soul to be rattled a little bit as you think about. Look at verse 4, though. But, you're really painting a picture of this. So, so, but, in other words, like, other reality going on here. That's for those that don't know Jesus. But, you, as in God's children, those who are in the faith, who've repented and turned their, put their faith in Jesus, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, that day's going to come suddenly, but you're not going to be caught off guard. And in fact, it's not, even, it's not even at all what the unbeliever faces. You actually face a great day. For the unbeliever, it's a day of fear and dread. For the believer, it's a day of like, this is going to be the ultimate party ever. And so even though we don't know when it is, we kind of know it's coming. It's, you, ever, you ever had a surprise party? planned for you, and then someone actually lets it leak, and you kind of get wind of it, and you don't really know when it is, but you know it's coming, and so when you find the open door, it's like, surprise! you surprised, you're like, yeah, yeah, and no, like, I knew it was coming. And you kind of enter into the hug, everyone is a big deal, like a big celebration. That, that's sort of what's going to happen for believers. For the unbeliever, it's retribution and, and punishment. For the believer, it's reward and, and acceptance. This is actually the great hope of the believer. But the ultimate point of what he's pointing to is, in the first four verses, is this. It's, it's going to happen. And regardless of which side you stand on, God wants you to be alert and be ready for the day of his son when he comes back. And this is the greatest thing you can urge each other to, you can encourage each other in, is, is not to become so lackadaisical in your faith, but continue encouraging each other. Hey, live like Jesus is coming back. Last thing we want is to be caught unexpected when Jesus comes back. Greatest way you can live your life is anticipation of Jesus, God's son Jesus, coming for you. So before we move any further in the text, I just want to stop and apply this to our hearts. How do we, how do we encourage each other to be alert? How do we encourage each other to live like, like today matters, like Jesus could come back today? That's the greatest way, by the way, you're going to make the most out of your life, to live with urgency and passion for Jesus. Here's the first way I think we can apply this. Buy into this reality and don't brush it off. Buy into this reality and don't brush it off. Honestly, I'm amazed at how many believers would intellectually say that they know Jesus is coming back, but then they live like the unbeliever. Well, I know he's going to come back, but this doesn't apply to me, Pastor. I've been saying this for 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. He's surely not going to come back in my lifetime. Even if he does, it doesn't even affect me at all. No, why does God put these things in the Bible? to help us live in our lives in such a way that we'll, we'll buy into this truth and, and not brush it off because this truth is actually what God wants us to live by every single day. If, if you're an unbeliever here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus, can I just give you the urgency of this text a little bit? I, I know what you're hearing right now and you're like, this may be new to you and, and you're thinking like, I, I don't know about this stuff and it's in the Bible, is it really true? Can I, can I encourage you with this today? I, I truly want to encourage you because this is, this is life and death stuff. This is the most crucial thing you'll ever buy into. Forget about the condo plans, all the things you want to buy into, the stock. Forget, this is the most important thing you'll ever buy into. Can I tell you this? Like, whether you deny it or refuse to accept it or not, guess what? This is going to happen. 
Everything Jesus said in the Bible is going to happen. Either has already or is going to in the future. Can I, can I just tell you this? Like, please, I urge you, don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be quick. It's going to be real. And there's no choice to make at that moment. It's going to be so quick you can't say, change my mind, I accept Jesus. No, uh and the eternal consequences of that are, are it's, it's damnation, it's hell, it's apart from Jesus forever. And, and we don't want that of anybody. That's why we preach what, like we preach and, and, and we stick to the word of God. Can I urge you today, if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, today's the day. This message is for you today that you'll be ready for the day he comes back. Amen. You'll be ready. This little parable in Matthew 25, it's a parable of the ten, the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. The way the parable goes is, is, is a 10 women taking care of a bride, getting ready for the groom to come. Back in Jesus' day, weddings went differently than ours did. The groom would come with a processional to the, the, the bride's house. He'd pick up the bride and then take her to his house where they'd have the wedding festivities. And so all the, the same, same kind of thing, all the, the bridesmaids are messing around with the bride. In this parable, the, the 10 bridesmaids... Uh, t- Five of them come ready with oil in their lamps, ready for like the long haul. Five of them come totally unprepared and, and there's no oil for their lamps. You know how today we wait for the bride and the bride's always the last one. The grooms are like, is she coming? Is she coming? Is she coming? You know, that kind of the, the general stereotype of today. You with me? Back in that day, it was the groom that was the one that could be late. And so the brides are all waiting for, is the groom coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? I don't know if he's getting his makeup on or what, but... And so in the parable of the bridesmaids, though, the groom is late, and it's like past eight, past nine, past ten, dark out, and so five of them have their lamps on, five of them don't, and all of a sudden, the groom shows up at midnight, and like half of them are like, oh, now, really? They were sleeping. Can we borrow some oil? The other five that were ready, sorry, I can't, there's no time, we gotta go, we only have enough oil for us. So these five that weren't ready, they go looking for oil. Maybe something's open, like, these five go with the processional. They get into the groom's house. The door is shut and locked. And by the time the other five get to the door, they're like, hey, the ceremony's already started. It's too late. It's too late. Missed your chance. What a horrible reality. Because this is the wedding feast of all wedding feasts. And... and, and no one wants to be late for that one because there's one crack. It's for all of eternity. I implore you, if you don't know Jesus, this is your, this is your shot. This is your shot to get your, your lamp ready and be in with Jesus. For believers here, let me encourage you the same reality, but a little different. I think it's time we as believers lived with passionate urgency and, and, not, and purposeful lives rather than Procrastination. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming back, we know. The urgency to be like, well, we don't know when, and man, I want to be ready. I don't want to be like one of the, the, the bridesmaids that was invited to the party, but I was so lazy in the way I approached Jesus, so lazy in making God my priority and, and wanting more than anything else in this life, his, his presence and, his, and his, his promises and his blessings. I want to live for Jesus and make him my number one. That I'm not the one who's showing up late, pounding on the door with this. Yeah, that maybe I really missed it. Because ultimately, we have no idea when Jesus is coming back for us. Could he come back for everybody 2,000 years from now? Absolutely. Could he come back for you and I today or tomorrow? For sure. Zen is going to help us live urgently. It's even looking at the world today. 
We prayed for Toronto today. Can you imagine anyone woke up last Monday on the most beautiful day, the only beautiful day of the spring, and thought today is going to be my last day? Better be ready. I think we're so casual in our faith. We say all the right things, but we don't actually live it out. The world looks as if I thought, you thought Jesus was going to come back. You know, this really struck home for me. They realized, you know, we get, we get kind of complacent. We think, you know, that's a long way off. When we were away on my sabbatical, um, first, the second day we were at the house we were staying at in Florida, friends of ours, and they had a pool in there, sort of like, sort of like a backyard. It was all covered in so the bugs and the alligators didn't get in. And the uh, first day we got Nick, who's really not used to swimming, got him in his little life preserver, and he's like, floating around trying to really start to get it. And second day, you know, kids, first two were getting in the pool, and little Nick was, you know, was getting him ready and put his little swim shirt on. And then uh, Ruth was in the house still. They had a sliding door, so it was kind of like, felt like in the house still. And so she said something to me, and, and I think he thought I put his life preserver on, but I didn't. So I'm looking at Ruth, talking to her for like 10 seconds. I turn around, and my little kid is at the bottom of the pool. Like standing there like, not knowing what to do. I was so panicked. I like, like, Zach! And he was, I jumped in fully clothed, picked him up, and, and I was panicked. I was ready to do CPR, whatever. I didn't know how to do CPR, but I was going to do it. And he goes, <laughs> He held his breath, thank the Lord. But you know how we realize that, man? I don't know if we're always living our lives like we're ready. I think we could do a lot to encourage each other to not be like, it's okay, put it off to tomorrow, the things of God, don't worry about them, put them off. No, 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 today. Get your heart right today. Get your house in order today. Imagine how that would change our faith if we all lived with urgency, encouraging each other to be alert. We don't want to mess with each other, right? But to encourage each other to be alert for the things of God, the coming back of Jesus. Here's the second thing I think that I know the text is pointing out for us. Greatest way you can encourage people today, according to the biblical definition of encouragement, one, to, to be alert, two, to get after holiness. Two is to get after holiness. Verse four, but you're not in the darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you're all children of, of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. And so this whole idea of light and darkness, it's, it's pointing out to us the, the full reality that we've been called to a higher standard because we know judgment is coming, because we live with Jesus inside of us, we're called to a higher standard of living. We're not to live like, like it's not happening, like the world lives in darkness. We're to live in the light, in the light of Jesus. Darkness represents both like they're not in the know, they don't know, but they're also not in the way. <laughs> Not that they don't know, oblivious, they're also living in sin and in debauchery. And this is an encouragement to, to live in response to the fact that, hey, we don't have to suffer judgment, so let's, let's live like we're made brand new and children of the light. This is an encouragement to live in response to the exalted position that we have in Jesus Christ. As one commentator says, to guard against temptation Darkness, laziness, lethargy, and distraction, waiting for our Savior's return, not a day of mourning, but a day of rejoicing. But you're not like the rest of the world, so don't live like the rest of the world. Don't try and fit in and live for, for all your lusts of the flesh and all the things that are associated with darkness. 
Verse 6, then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Obviously, he's not saying don't sleep. Ever tried to not sleep for a few nights? You don't want to see me when I haven't slept for a few nights. He's not saying don't sleep. They don't wake up, don't stay up all night and drink, you know, the Powerades or whatever, not the Powerades. What do you call those things? The energy drinks. Don't drink those things and put toothpicks in your eyes. But, but he's saying don't spiritually sleep. You all know that you can be awake and still sleeping spiritually, right? That's what he's warning against here. Let us not sleep as others do, spiritually in a slumber, but let us keep awake and be sober. See, that word's going to be said again. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. There's, there's a way to live, and, and it's not like the rest of the world at, at the nighttime. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Notice in this text here, there's two descriptions. There's the lost and there's the found. The lost, night, darkness, sleep, drunkenness. The found, day, light, alertness, and soberness. See the contrast? It's not like I'll pull your socks up and say, hey, live in light of the full reality. You've been forgiven. You don't have to worry about judgment. Like live it out. Live every day intentionally for Jesus Christ. Don't give in to the lusts of the things of the world. Think about the night. What happens at night at nightclubs? Debauchery and drinking and feeding whatever my soul desires to be fed and no one's darkness so no one sees. And yet do you realize that we've been saved from the darkness? Well, it put us from darkness to light. It wasn't because we're good. It wasn't because we believe. like, oh, we're so good. I'm going to live in the light. It was Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that saves us from the, the life of darkness. That's, if you're not in Christ, you love darkness. You love sin. It says that in John 3.19, we love darkness because our deeds are evil. But when Jesus moves in, guess what? He shines a light in our darkness and he makes us love the day and not the light. We want to live for the day, not the night now. Who needs a nightlife? We have the day, the fullness of Jesus every day. And Jesus saved us from the darkness. Listen to Old and New Testament. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. That's us. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. It's Jesus saying, hey, hey, I'm shining a light on you. There's something better to come. I have something better for you. Second Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 9. This is believers in Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you might, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, he who truly follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The believer loves the day. The believer loves the light. The believer is living in the light of Jesus, ready for his return. It's a call to holiness over sinfulness. Greatest way we can encourage each other? Oh, don't feel bad. Everybody sins. Well, it's not as bad as, do you hear what happened to so-and-so? Oh, my God. Oh, you're okay. Well, just don't get too far into it. You can just dabble. Don't want to offend anyone today, right? Don't want to. You want to encourage them. That's not encouraging them at all. That's pushing them more towards the darkness. True encouragement is to, be, to, to beseech them to come out of the darkness into the lights. To not be like the 
spiritually dead who are, what's the word, drunk. I think he's talking metaphorically there. He's talking literally. I think he's talking both. Metaphorically and literally. Who here wants to be in a drunken stupor when Jesus comes back? Might tell where the rally of your heart is and actually show the fruit of where you're really living. But metaphorically, think of this. Like, 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 what, what is a drunk? What's a drunk like? A drunk can't even see straight. I've never been drunk in my life by God's grace. But around a few drunk people, and man, they can't even see straight. What's that? Who are you? Like, Jesus doesn't want us to be in a spiritual drunken stupor. He wants us to see clearly who God is and, and what God's called us to and how we're supposed to be living and, and, and be, be awake to the reality of God. Think of, think of this, a drunk person can't, can't even find their way home at night. If you're spiritually drunk, you can't find your way home. Spiritually corrupted by sin. I learned this reality back when I first bought my first house. A month into our house at midnight one night, maybe midnight or maybe one, there's like a slam, slam, slam at the door. We both wake up at the start and we're like, make a long story short, we're running around the house looking for baseball bats and golf clubs and everything to protect ourselves. Ruth's calling 911, I'm looking for my baseball bat or my putter. Long story short, you know who it was? It was a guy that got so drunk at the bar three blocks away, he didn't want to walk home, so what he did was he terrorized people because he couldn't find his way home, knock on their door until the cops came and gave him a ride home. Just happened to pick my house that night. But the truth is, like, if we're spiritually in a drunken sleeper, we can't find our way home. We don't know whose house is from the next house. How are we ever going to find our way to God's house? Think about a drunk person. There's no sense of rightness or wrongness there. There's no sense of consequences for decisions or making the right call or even the blessings, Right? But sober people, it's all, it's all the opposite of that. It's, it's I can find my way home and I, I see clearly the path that God's called for me. I make right decisions based on the logic and the way God's called me to. That's how Jesus wants us to live, waiting for his return, to be children of the light. When Jesus comes back, how's he gonna know who are his? Those that are in the light or those that are in darkness? There's no like straddle in that line. So how do we remain on the path? It says it right here. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, it says again, let us be sober. Let us think of ourselves in right proportion of who God is and, and, and who we are. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Get all girded up with the armor of God. Breastplate. If you have a picture here, I think, guys, for the screen, put the breastplate up. It's, it's, it's a, a picture of, of the armor that would go on to protect all the vital organs. And what's the armor you put on? Uh, love and faith. You keep loving God and loving others, and, and you keep walking by faith, and, and that's the most important thing we can encourage each other in. All the superficial things we do, but the important things are just keep walking by love and faith and put on your helmet of hope. Can you, can you imagine a gladiator going out in the ring? of war without your chest protector on, like that's going to last about 10 seconds. One good spear in the midsection is going to finish it all. Can you imagine a football player in the NFL going out without a helmet on? Like he's going to last one play because someone takes him out and he's finished. What's our helmet? Our helmet is, is hope, the hope of, of Christ, the hope of something greater. 
Get girded up, brothers and sisters. This is truly what it is to walk in the light. This is how you can encourage each other in a far better way than looking for all the personal characteristics you think are stand out in the other person, which they're good. They're important. You know, I can really encourage people like, walk in the light. Get your armor on. Let's go after this for Jesus Christ. Let's, let's stop with the plithy little things that want to, in the world, build each other up. Let's really build each other up. I'm not talking about here, just in case you're wondering, being like each other's spiritual police. No one wants a moral spiritual policeman, right? But here's what we all do need. We need brothers and sisters to push us and prod us and sometimes pull us towards the kingdom of God. We need that. I need that. You need that. Not one person in this room is extinct from me. That you can't get there on your own. That's why God gave us community and God's family. And sometimes that's going to mean saying the hard things that we don't want to hear but we need to hear. That's what true encouragement is. If you truly love somebody, you're not going to let them walk towards the fire. You know, all you got, pick them up and run the other way. This is the real encouragement the Bible is talking about. Walking in holiness. Let me read you some other verses that have one another's in them. That just reiterate this whole reality. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, we're called to build each other up to maturity in Christ. Build each other up to maturity in Christ. Warning of the devil's schemes and speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. But it's way easier to compliment than to speak truth. Yeah, but complimenting sometimes gets us nowhere. Speaking the truth in love is how you truly build someone up that they might be like Christ. Oh, Hebrews 3.13, write this one down. But exhort one another. There it is again. Exhort and encourage go hand. It's not like, oh, that's exhort. This, no, they're hand in hand. How, how, how many times should I exhort one another? Every day. As long as it's called today. How long is today called today? Well, it's called today all day. It's called today as long as I'm living. Today, it's today. As soon as the clock hits midnight and I'm still there, it's today, right? So all the time. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I don't know about you, but I'm learning more and more that my heart is my heart's propensity is to be to deceive myself into being okay with myself, and I'm really not okay. You know what I need? I need brothers and sisters around me to help me with that. I've got little blinders on. I can see sin in everybody else. Can't quite see it in my own heart, but I sure see it in you. That's easy. You know what encouraging is? It's like, hey, brother, you just stop, take yourself down three notches, and take a good look at the word in your heart. You need to live in the light as child of the day. Here's a couple things we can encourage from this. We encourage each other to be walking in righteousness. Even when you don't feel like it, even when it gets hard, to be children of the day, to, to keep loving when it doesn't feel like God's near, to keep loving God and loving others when people feel far. To keep making decisions that know set you up for Jesus to recognize you when he comes back as one of his. Matthew 7 says lots of people will be like, oh, I'm one of yours, I'm one of yours. Jesus will be like, really? I never knew you. How do they know us? By our fruit, by our life. Keep encouraging one another to live by faith. To challenge each other to have greater faith and, 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 and 
Strengthen faith. The Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. When you see brothers and sisters walking by sight, you need to encourage them. Hey, stop walking by sight. Get your eyes off that circumstance. Get them back on Jesus and walk by faith. When you encourage one another, stop believing the lies of Satan that he so skillfully weaves into our minds and point them to the truth. We need to spur each other on. We're tempted to give up on God and church and everything else to spur each other on. That's true encouragement. It's not cuddling. It's actually calling each other to what God has called us to. It's also an exhortation to put on spiritual armor. When's the last time that you actually saw somebody getting pummeled by the devil and instead of telling them it's okay, you actually said, hey, why aren't you getting your armor on, man? I love you enough to get your armor on. God's given you all this armor to protect you. Remember Ephesians 6? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. What's our battle against? The unseen realm, right? Satan and his enemies. So it says in Ephesians 6 that, that God's given us battle gear, the belt of truth and a breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness and sandals of peace and a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation, a sword of the spirit and prayer and fasting. I think we sometimes as believers forget that we are not at summer camp. We're in a war zone. Christian life isn't summer camp. It's not like I accept Jesus. I'll kick my feet back, put my sandals on, let's go to the beach. Woohoo! Actually, turning to Jesus means you're entering into the battlefield. The, the enemy's got a mark on your back, and he's not going to relent until he takes you down. I play old man hockey on Saturday morning. You know, we have fun, but we're old, and we don't skate very fast anymore, and our paths aren't quite as crisp, but we have fun. And I tell you what, though, even though it's not fast and hard hockey, if someone were to come on the ice with only half their equipment on, you know what we would do? Go back to the dressing room, man, and put your equipment on. No one wants you to get a puck off the shins without shin pads. No one wants you to get, you know, to, get to fall on your backside without padding back there. No, no one wants you to slam your face into the boards without a helmet on. Like, don't come out here and play without equipment. Go, go, go back good exhortation to us to, to be doing the same thing with believers. Hey, 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 get your battle gear on. Are you in the word of God? Are you wielding the sword of the spirit? Are you got your shield of faith up today? Can encourage each other in a lot of things and none more important than those things because those are the things that are gonna determine whether we finish to the end or not. And it says in Matthew that only those who endure till the end get the prize. Oh, but I made sure they felt good about themselves. But they didn't get to the end. Biblical encouragement is quite different than worldly encouragement. This is iron sharpening iron that we're all called to, and, and not just called to give it, but called to receive it as well. I don't want you to run out of here going like, well, I'm going to be the encourager of encourage of the church. I'm going to call everybody out. That's not it. All right, God, I'm going to take this seriously, man. I'm going to start my family, and, and we're going to start encouraging other, each other truly biblically to be alert and to be walking in holiness and putting on the armor of God. And I'm going to be open to people actually coming into my life and doing the same thing for me. I'm not going to be arrogant enough to think that everyone else needs it and not myself. Here's the last one. Quickly, it's live in hope. How can you encourage each other? Number one, be alert. 
Number two, get after holiness. Number three is live in hope. Look at the last two verses before verse 11. Again, this is, remember, all because of all these things, encourage one another and build one another up. Verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. This is the greatest hope we have as believers. It's not that life's gonna get better here on earth. It might not, let's be honest. But we have a hope greater than anything here on earth. We have a hope that we have a God who saved us through his son, a God who purified us from all sin through our faith and repentance, a God who promises now that at the end of this life, there is not gonna be judgment waiting for any of us. It's only hopeful expectation and anticipation of being with Jesus Christ forever in heaven. This is our hope, brothers and sisters, that we have to constantly remind each other of and encourage each other in and and push each other to. Here's what I see in Christian circles so often. We try and encourage each other with all these plithy little things of what we think should happen here on earth that ultimately sometimes lead to more discouragement than encouragement. Instead of encouraging each other with what really matters, the hope of eternity. And this hope, it says here, is for all the living and the dead. For all those who are asleep, it's not for those who are spiritually dead. It's for those who have gone before us that are Christians and those who are, who are living right now, they're going to pass away and go be with Jesus forever. This is our hope, is that Jesus has a place for us where everything that he's promised is going to be made complete. This is the hope of the believer. Somehow we fooled ourselves, even as Christians, to get into this mindset of it's all about the here and now. It is, but it isn't. How many times have I heard other believers not encourage other with the hope of heaven and the hope of where everything's made perfect, but like, oh, I know it's tough financially, but you know, next week God's going to make all that right. Well, who promises that? I know this is your sickness right now, but God's going to heal you. We know he can heal, but does he always? No. Or I know that this is your relational strife right now and don't worry, God's gonna, you just pray hard enough and you have enough faith and here's what God's gonna do and does he do it all the time? I wish he did. But if God acted every time we told him what to do, who then would be playing God? Oh yeah, that'd be me, right? What's our ultimate hope as believers? What can we ultimately encourage each other in? Hey, this life is hard. There is sickness, there is strife, there is struggles. This life is hard, but don't you worry. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on heaven. There's a better day to come. Amen. Sometimes we need each other just to come alongside of us, and here's what true, true gospel encouragement is. That's why I call this gospel encouragement. It's, it's the biblical kind. Hey, brother, hey, sister. I don't know what God's gonna do in your life, but can I help you just like get your eyes off the circumstances and back on Jesus? Because he's still good. He's still all powerful. His promises are still true. And he's promised you he's gonna carry you all the way through this life. Thick, thin, hard, easy. He's gonna carry you all the way through. Sin, strife, struggle. He's gonna carry you all the way through. And one day, you're gonna be with him. Jesus, the, the one who's, who's justified you, the one who's sanctifying you is ultimately gonna glorify you in his holy heaven. All the other encouragement we promise, we don't have assurance of any of those things. This assurance is for sure concrete. We can put all of our hope in this one. We can take this one to the bank. See that right here? God's not destined us for wrath, 
awesome. But to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord who died for us that we might live with him. Yes, the life starts now here on earth but ultimately comes to completion when we're with him in glory. No matter what happens here on earth, guess what? There's hope. No matter what happens here on earth, there's hope. And when you get there, every battle you fight on earth, you're not even going to remember these battles. It's going to be worth it all to see Jesus. A few years ago, a bunch of scientists did an experiment with rats. And that really tells us the, the power of even putting into believers true gospel hope. They put a, got a bucket of water and put a bunch of rats in that bucket of water. Just let them tread water, see how long they could go. Within an hour, every one of those rats had, had died. Took the same bucket of water, emptied those rats, took the same bucket of water, put the same amount of rats in that tub and, and let them tread water. But every half an hour or so, they just reach in and pull that little rat out for just a few seconds to catch his breath and then put him back in. Amazing. Those rats that were given a little reprieve every once in a while had a little bit of hope placed in them. Lasted 24 hours. Not because they caught their breath in between. Who can tread water for 24 hours? But, but scientists figure it's because they had a little bit of hope that if I can hold on just a little bit longer, someone's going to reach in and rescue me. If I can just last one more minute, someone's going to reach in and rescue me. That's our goal in encouraging believers is don't give up. Don't give up. God will rescue you just enough to keep you going until he ultimately rescues you and brings you home with him. And so we as believers don't give each other these little worldly things that we hope will happen, that I think is a good plan. We instead remind each other of the promises of God, remind each other how great he is and how powerful he is, and that ultimately he will overcome. This is real encouragement. This is what we need more than anything else, true hope and to live with this hope and to be encouraged with hope and encourage others with this hope. When you read that little sentence, encourage one another, let's forget about the worldly definition and let's all buy into the eternal definition. Let's forget about building each other's egos. Yeah, there's a place for that and it's important at times, but let's get beyond the superficial. Let's get to the deep realities of, of not egos, but eternities. And again, in the process, as you do this, you'll find your life radically changed. And you'll find the culture around you completely different. Let's do this at home this week, brothers and sisters. Let's just do this in our homes. Gospel encouragement, things that matter. Point to the things that matter. In our small groups, let's get, let's get past the nitty, you know, the, the surface stuff. Let's get deep into things that matter. Let's, let's encourage other gospel-centered encouragement. As you interact with each other throughout the week, your texts and your phone calls and your meetings. Let's go to where God says we should go and see how, how much of a difference that makes in all of our lives. Can you imagine if we all lived this way every day? I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to live urgently waiting for Christ to come back, passionately living for holiness, and determined to put hope in everybody that I see. Different, different homes different church, different community for the glory of God. Let me pray. May it be so, O Lord, may it be so. Give us urgency and passion for the coming of Jesus Christ.
God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you as their personal Savior. Oh, God, would today be the day? Would today be the day of salvation? Oh, Lord, would you open eyes to see and hearts to understand? Would there be no more putting it off, hoping for a, a bedside confession? But God, would today be the day that lives come to you and find eternal life in Jesus Christ? Lord, for believers, help us to live on purpose every day, to, to make our days count, to make our time count, to make our, our, our lives count, our choices count for all of eternity. May not, not be caught off guard. May we all be like the, the five bridesmaids that were, were, were ready with the oil burning, looking for our groom's return. Father, help us live in holiness. We can't do it apart from you, O oh God. Give us hope, Lord. I pray for those that need hope today. Would you encourage them with real hope? This life is hard. There are no promises in this life, but the promise that we hold on to is this, that you have saved us. You will carry us, and you will one day bring us home to be with you. God, would that be the hope that drives every soul here? Help us in these things, Lord. Grow us in these things. We want to be a faithful church. When you come back, we want you to recognize that we are yours. Not just by the words that we speak, but by the lives that we live. For your namesake. Amen.